as we reflect, and many of you hear the news about what happened in Paris, I think it's a timely reminder, uh, Paul's words from perhaps the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, uh, verse 34, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or danger, or nakedness, or sword? For as it is written, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. For I am sure in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure and certain that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things to come, or things present, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. That's the hope that we have when we encounter news, terrible actions of men, who are deceived, thinking they are rendering service to God. And they do atrocious things. That nothing in all of creation, beloved, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing at all. And Romans 8.28, perhaps the passage that many of you know, and we know that all things work together for good, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That promise... His purpose is what? That we would never be separated from the love of Christ. That's why we know it will all work together for good, because God is moving all things, providentially ordering all things for the good of his people and the glory of Christ. And that's exactly what we see in Genesis chapter 39 and the great narrative of Joseph. Before we launch into that, let's open up in a word of prayer for uh, our brothers and sisters suffering in Paris, uh, in France, and many other places across the globe. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you with heavy hearts as we hear of destruction and death at the hands of sinful men. Lord, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted. Lord, we ask that your purposes would prevail in Paris, Father, the, your purpose to spread the gospel that gives hope and life to even those who take it. Lord, we pray that through this atrocious event, God, that you would work in such a way that one day, one day, we can look back and say what they meant for evil, you meant for good. To bring about a deliverance of many. And Father, we pray that many of the refugees who have been displaced, many of the Muslims, Lord, who are maybe encountering Christ in a new way in Europe for the first time, and those who will come here to America, Father, we pray that they would hear the gospel in power and that they would respond with faith and repentance to Christ. And Lord, we praise you now that nothing can separate us 
from the love of Christ, Lord, as we consider and wonder whether our time will ever come to suffer, whether our time that we are staring down the muzzle of a rifle will ever come, Lord, that we would know that we are more than conquerors in all these things because death has been defeated by Christ. So, Lord, would you help us to live in light of this? Lord, would you teach us now through Genesis 39, uh, Lord, your invincible purposes will come to pass. And so, Lord, we ask these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. All right. Keep your brothers and sisters in prayer, right? We're commanded. Pray for those who are in bonds and chains, who are suffering for the gospel. You never know when our time will come and when we will likewise need those prayers. Bob, thank you for sharing about the happening in the line. And I want to encourage you guys, as we come upon the Thanksgiving holiday, man, live missionally. Look where you can uh, serve and, and really be the body of Christ to those around you. Maybe uh, I'll challenge you guys here just by way of uh, application, if you will, right off the bat. Maybe look around at a, at a new member that you don't know or somebody you, you don't know, a stranger perhaps, and maybe invite them over to your house for dinner or for Thanksgiving dinner or just any dinner, right? Invite them over, get to know one another, love one another, and show the love of Christ in a tangible way. So if you remember where we at in Genesis 37, we laughed last saw Joseph, right? The great Joseph narrative, the, the prince of Egypt. They made an animated movie of it years ago. It was actually pretty good. And we saw Joseph betrayed by his brothers, the favorite spoiled son of Jacob who got the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, the nice Louis Vuitton coat, and the brand new car, okay? And all the other kids got mopeds and, and uh, you know, maybe a Nintendo Wii's or something, right? So, Joseph was favored. They hated him. They, they, it says three times they hated him maliciously. That means in Hebrews they really, really didn't like him, all right? And so they came up with this plot, and they sold him as a slave into Egypt. Their own brother betrayed and sold for silver. For what? And they devised this plot. They, they took his garment and they slaughtered a goat and poured blood all over it and ripped it up and, and showed it to Father Jacob, their daddy, and said, is this your son's coat? And he said, surely it is. My son has been devoured by a beast, right? He's just been attacked and mauled. There's no way he's alive. He's gone. We saw jo Jacob refused to be comforted, right, in the death of his son, his favorite son, Joseph, by his deceased wife, Rachel. And now he's just inconsolable. There's nothing they can do, right? You just imagine losing your child. Okay, that's him. Some of you don't have to imagine that, unfortunately. And so you know the pain that Jacob is walking through right now. And then it is as if the narrator shifts to us now, and he shows us, not the scene at home, but he shows us, Joseph. And it says, Joseph went down as a slave into Egypt. And that's where he picks up today in 39. And here's going to be the big idea that we're going to see. There's lots of things in this passage about fleeing sexual sin, right? We saw that whole, man, did you guys realize how scandalous Genesis is? I mean, from Lot sleeping with his daughters to um, Reuben sleeping with his dad's wife to Judah and Tamar and Dinah. I mean, it's just, 
There's just scandalous stuff all over. And if you think, wow, I can't believe Pastor Randy's talking about this, this sexual things in church. How, how dare he? Just imagine ancient cultures. How taboo it was for this to be included in Scripture. And yet we have today another one. So while there's things about sexual immorality and things about work and all of these types of lessons we can draw, these morals, if you will, that we can pull from this, that's not the main point of the story. This is going to be the main point of Genesis 39. God's providence, God's providential working, if you remember, his providence is operative even in poor circumstances for the good of his people. So we tend to think of providence like Christian luck. So let's say I, I pull out onto Pu'unene going home and there's a car who, who comes and crosses the center lane and we swerve just at the right last second and I say, wow, that was providential. Or perhaps you are walking and, and you stumble, but somebody is standing there and they, they catch you right at the last second. So this happened at my house the other day, right? One of the children, I won't say who, uh, is going on a high chair. She's climbing and, you know, that's what children do. And, and she steps off as if there's like, she's thinking there's something there, but there's nothing there, right? And I just happen to be in the right place and just, there you go, right? Uh, that was providential, right? We may say that was, it's almost like a Christian luck. Or we look at the end of Joseph, and many of us know the end, and some of us don't. So I won't give it away if you don't know it, but we look at the end and say, oh, look, that was providential. But beloved, God's providence is at work even in the poorest of circumstances. It's just as much at work when Joseph is redeemed as when Joseph goes into prison, as when Joseph is tempted as when he is sold into slavery in the pit. God's providence is just as much at work then, too. And so God's providence is operative even in the poorest circumstances, as he is always, always, always with his people. That's the main point of this text, because multiple times in this one chapter, you see the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord caused all that Joseph did to succeed, and that will be the main point. So we're going to see Joseph, number one. We're going to follow the divisions of the text, verses one through six. Joseph went from random slave to servant of Potiphar. And so we see Joseph is brought into Egypt. That's interesting, isn't it? He's taken out of the promised land, Canaan, into Egypt. Why is that interesting? You remember Genesis chapter 11, the table of nations? Who is Egypt? Egypt is actually the son of Ham. Remember who Ham was? Ham was the cursed son of Noah. And so now you have the promised line in the cursed son's territory, and God said he would be a servant, servant to the promised line. But it's actually flipped, you see. You see the irony. Far from the cursed sons of Ham serving the people of God, it's actually now Joseph serving the sons of Ham. How is that work? God's promises seem to be falling. This is a major motive we see all throughout Genesis. We'll have to wait the conclusion later. Joseph is about 17 years old. 
How many 17-year-olds in here? Any 17-year-olds? Raise your hand if you are 17 years old. Right out. There's one. If you are 16, raise your hand. If you are 18, raise your hand. Ah, you guys wannabes around here. All right. If you are within five years of 17 years old, raise your hand. So in the next five years, you will be seven, or you were 17, right? Okay, so look around. These are, this is a young dude, all right? He doesn't have a lot of life experience. He barely is even starting to grow hair on his chest and facial hair, all right? And here he is, far removed from his family, from his culture, from his land. Can you imagine the look on his face as he's walking into Egypt? I mean, this is the place where they have pyramids and the Sphinx. They probably weren't erected at this time. Nonetheless, they have gods for everything. They have Ra, the sun god, the moon god. They have frog head gods. They have hawks that they worship. There's just gods and idolatry everywhere. You can imagine what it's like as he enters this land as a young man. And notice who purchased Joseph. Potiphar, the captain of the guard, a very prestigious man in Egypt. What a coincidence. Now he's one person removed from the most powerful man in Egypt, Pharaoh. What a coincidence. What a coincidence that you were in line at that store as the lady just turned around and said, hey, do you guys need a turkey? What a coincidence. Or is it? Notice, as world history is barreling forward, you have Pharaoh in power, you've got other ancient rulers in power in this time. God's redemptive focus is on one slave, one boy, a 17-year-old boy who would work deliverance for his people. God's providence at play again. And so Potiphar, this captain of the guard, purchases this young man, Joseph, and unwittingly, unknowingly becomes the benefactor or a beneficent of the promises of God in Genesis 12. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so he brings Joseph into his house and he starts to make Joseph, he puts him to work as a slave or servant in his household. Can we just say it safe to say that none of you in here have it worse than Joseph did? All right, any slaves in here? Okay, where's the slave? You don't get paid, <laughs> all right? Uh, some of the ladies don't raise your hand, all right? No, 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 all right? You might feel like, right? No, you don't get paid for your work. You don't have any sort of benefits package. There's no sick leave or vacation time. You don't get days off. You couldn't quit if you wanted to because then you'll die. So it's like you want to quit or die or go back to work. I'll, I'll go back to work today. Thank you, all right? You have nothing, nothing. You're not even considered a person. I should say to say Joseph isn't in the greatest of circumstances, but nonetheless, he gets to work. He works with faithfulness, diligence, and integrity as a young man even. And as he does, the Lord blesses him. He causes everything he does to succeed, just whatever he does. He's he's sowing seeds, and all of a sudden, poof, it's bearing fruit. He's milking cows, and there's gallons coming out of this cow, right? Everything he does succeeds, and Potiphar takes notes. For my teenagers or young, young people in here, does everything you do succeed, right? Anything you put your hand to, it almost felt like, I remember as a kid, I felt like I couldn't do anything right. Like, dude... 
I'd do dishes. My mom would come and examine the dishes. And if there was like one speck, all of it's back in the sink, right? <laughs> Start over, all right? I just, man, you just couldn't get it right sometimes. But Joseph, everything he did succeeded. And Potiphar took note. So he started giving him more. Essentially, what did he do today? He gave him his car keys. Here's my debit card, my credit card, my bank account information, my passwords to my computer. Uh, here's, here's, let me put your fingerprint in my iPhone so that you can access it and do whatever you need to do, all right? Oh, by the way, here's my house. Here's other slaves because everything you do is succeeding. I like this guy. I like Joseph. Such that it came where Joseph was the greatest in Potiphar's household. Nobody was higher than Joseph except for Potiphar. It says he had withheld nothing from his hand. Interesting to think that Joseph's success didn't mainly benefit Joseph. Think about that. None of his success really directly benefited Joseph at this time. It benefited Potiphar. benefited Potiphar's Wife benefited Potiphar's slaves, benefited later Egypt and Pharaoh and the bakers and, and those whom he would encounter later and ultimately his whole family. But none of these things were directly beneficial to Joseph. Brothers and sisters, this is the constant refrain of Scripture, that you exist for more than just yourself. Amen. You exist. You are blessed with blessings that you might be a blessing to others. So as we see, Joe, young Joseph, 17-year-old, man, his, his life just stinks for a 17-year-old, but yet here he is working hard, faithful. Is that you? Is that you this morning? That's one lesson we can definitely draw from this text. Not the only lesson, but is that you? It's worth drawing. Are you a hard worker? Does your boss trust you? That's an important character trait to have today, right? Trust. Does your boss trust you? Do you work diligently? Do you work joyfully? Do others notice the difference in how you work? The scriptures say, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord. Is that you? Or are you on the other end of the spectrum? Do you complain? Do you waste time, money, as long as it's company time and company money? Do you slack off? Do you cut corners? Do you look like Eeyore at work? Nobody loves me. Right, right? Is that, is that the way we move? Or, or are we indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God? Have we been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Do we not have a temporal home here, but we seek an eternal heavenly city that is to come? We live diligently and faithfully as we reflect the glory of Christ at work. This was Joseph, and God blessed everything Joseph did. It's also worth noting that Joseph still had to work. So I'm talking about, are you a good worker? But how about we just talk about, are you even a worker? Do you work? God intended that all of us would work in some way, shape, or form. I got these gloves, man. 
Uh, they're not, these aren't my gloves. My hands are bigger than this. I have gloves like this. These are work gloves. Anybody have any of these at, at your house? Yard work or welding, maybe you got work gloves. Does anybody use them? Are they clean still or are they kind of rugged? All right, that's another question. But they call these work gloves, and it really doesn't make sense why they call them work gloves because they don't do any work, right? They just, I wish they did, but I'm going to, here, I want you to pick up this. They don't work, right? They just sit there and do nothing. Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Christ is in us. And so we, while God blesses us and often prospers our work, at the same time we do have to work as Christ is in us. So these work gloves are worthless. They're kind of small too uh, for my hands. These work gloves are worthless until what? I put my hand in them. And now I can do all sorts of things. I can hammer, I can cut, I can pick up some thorny bushes and bramble, whatever. I can do all sorts of things with these now. And so it is with us. We, apart from Christ, he says, you can do nothing apart from me. Apart from Christ, all of our work. But as we abide in Christ and Christ is in us, we can do massively useful things and important things. Amen? Amen. So do you work, and do you work by faith in Christ? So he went from from slave to servant. Number two, he goes from servant to seduce. Oh man, this is where it gets juicy, right? This is where the plot just thickens, all right? The Bible says in verse six, uh, the second half of the verse, that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. What does that mean? It means Joseph was good looking, all right? It means that if Joseph was sitting in here, all the ladies would be like, right? That's what it would mean. That's what it means. Okay, you remember Rachel, his mom? She's where Victoria got her secret from, all right? That was Rachel. She was really, really good looking, okay? And now Joseph, her son, is equally good looking. He's probably, I mean, he's 18, he's a young man. He's probably ripped. Long before Magic Mike was on screen, there was Magic Joseph, all right? And that was him. He's the dude in Egypt, turning all the heads, the slave. That's probably why Potiphar purchased him, because he's strong. And this didn't evade the eyes of Mrs. Potiphar. And it says, after some time, Mrs. Potiphar cast her eyes on Joseph. She looked lustfully after him. And eventually, she invited him to sleep with her. Interesting. Genesis chapter 34, we saw a young woman, Dinah, get raped. In that case, the female was the victim. Now, here we are in Genesis 39, and far from being the victim, the female is the predator. So we'll have some lessons for females in here, since we often hammer at the males. Today, we'll get some female... uh, lessons. And so the female, you could call her Mrs. Potiphar. She's probably older. She's also probably good looking. Our culture has a label for these types of women. It's named after a big cat. 
You guys know what it is? Cougar, all right, Mrs. Cougar Potiphar, all right, that's who we have in the text, looking at young Joseph, and now she's entranced. I had one preacher say, have you ever seen an NFL football player with an ugly wife? No. Most of them are beautiful, and you can imagine that Potiphar, the captain of the guard, this prestigious man, his wife is likely very attractive. And here she is making a pass at young Joseph. Can you imagine the enormity of this temptation? Joseph is young, right? We often, there's a whole uh, profile for young men, right? They're young, their hormones are raging, and, and now here's Joseph. He's far away. He's away from his family. He's away from his friends. He's away from his God. He might even feel abandoned by his God, definitely by his family. Nobody will ever know. I may never get married. I may never have a wife. After all, I'm just a slave and I'm taking orders. It's always been understood in every slave culture that sexual favors are part of the job. Well, it's not outside of the realm of the ordinary. Nobody will ever know, Joseph. It actually may even increase my standing in this house, which is already good. It might just get that much better. She's unhappy. Potiphar's always gone. He doesn't pay any attention to her. He cheats on her. She's unhappy. I'm unhappy. God wants us to be happy, doesn't he? You heard this before? Again, suddenly this very old text is very relevant to today. Please understand, this is no small temptation. And what does Joseph do? He doesn't just tell her no. He actually rebukes her. (laughs) He doesn't just tell her no. He actually rebukes her, man. I think some of us are kind of like, dude, I wish I was Joseph, all right? That's what some guys would think. Worldly, non-Christian guys would think, hey, I know what I would do in that situation, and it's not what Joseph did. That's the way men think apart from Christ. True or untrue? And yet Joseph, by the grace of God, because the Lord was with him, actually rebukes his master's wife. Then just say, no, how can I do this wicked thing? There is none greater in this house than I am. Potiphar has trusted me with everything and has held back only you. Wait a minute. This sounds really familiar. Go back. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, God says, you may eat of every tree of the field except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He shall not eat. Whoa, parallel, here we go. Joseph's response is exactly what Adam's response should have been. It's exactly what our response to temptation should be. See, she is saying, come, lie with me. You can have me too. And he's saying, no, my master's withheld nothing from me. And sin makes us think, God's holding out on me. 
This would make me happy. God doesn't want me to be happy. He's holding out on me. Instead of saying, look at everything he's given me, every tree of the forest and field I may eat of, he's withheld nothing from my hand. That's the way we fight sin, with the goodness of God, with the faithfulness of God. And even more so, the anchor for Joseph was not that I would betray Potiphar, was not that I would lose my status. The anchor for Joseph was that how can I do this wickedness against God? Because that's ultimately where all sin boils down to, amen? It's not a sin against my boss. It's not a sin against my wife. It's not a sin against my son, my daughter, my, my parent. It's ultimately a sin against God. And with that mindset, Jacob was able not only to rebuke his wife, but to withstand the temptation day after day after day. We often look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and it says, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will allow you a way of escape. And we say, oh, look, there's got to be an escape for Joseph, right? If we apply it, it doesn't work here with that normal interpretation. Why? Because Joseph is a slave. He can't flee. He can't leave the situation and go find another master. But that's not all 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. It says, a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Sometimes escape looks like removing you from the tempting circumstance. Sometimes escape looks like strengthening you and empowering you to endure. And here's Joseph, day after day after day, she's making passes at him. See, some people, if you rebuked me, I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to do it, I feel bad, all right? But others, the predator, was rebuked. And it just fueled her lustful fires even more. She, it's a challenge. All right, now it's a challenge day after day till eventually she's not inviting anymore. One day she orders all the servants out of the house. Why are the servants out of the house? They're not supposed to be out of the house. They're supposed to be servants in the house. Why are they out today? Because she ordered them out. And Joseph walks in like he always does and she grabs him. Says, lie with me. And that's the time that Joseph says, what does he say? Nothing at all. He talks with his feet, leaves the cloak, and runs. And so Joseph becomes a, you're like, yeah, Joseph, stick it to her. Keep going. Don't turn. Run, Forrest, run. Right? He gets out of there. He leaves the cloak, the cloak behind. Interesting to think, who was the real slave in this story? Was it Joseph, or was it the woman who was enslaved to her lusts? Joseph had been blessed with very much, and brothers and sisters, he, like us, we have been blessed with very much, and we are to use great blessings to fight great temptations. Or, if we do not, those great temptations will rob us of the great blessings. You guys know what happens next. She's a quick thinker. She's malicious. 
She's got her coat. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? Oh, I'm going to cry out. God's come in here. And now she, she fabricates this story of, of how he came in and tried to rape her and take her. And look, I have his cloak here with me. And remember, when the husband comes home, Mr. Potiphar gets home from work. He sees his wife. Her eyes are all puffy. She's been crying. She's clearly upset. What, what happened, babe? The Hebrew slave you brought among us. Did you notice that in the text? Did you see that? Check that out. Verse 17, and she told him the same story. The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. What is it that made the master angry? What would make you angry? If it was me, I'd be angry that the dude just tried to sleep with my wife. But I think there's a little more going on here than meets the eye. I think Potiphar, Mr. Potiphar, kind of knows something's up. There's a few clues. Notice verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, I would expect to find at this moment that he tried to rape me. But this is the words you say. This is the way your servant treated me. End quote. What is it about it that made him so mad? It was the accusatory. This is your fault. You did this. You say, Randy, are you sure? I think, I'm, I think I'm on the right track, and this is why. What does Potiphar do to Joseph? In that time, if you tried to rape somebody, what was the punishment? You could probably guess. Execution. That's what I would do. If I'm the captain of the guard, you try to rape my wife, I'm going to load up my gun, I'm going to take you out the back, and I'm just going to... Potiphar doesn't do that. That's the common form of execution. Of course, they didn't have guns, all right? So... Why did he throw him into prison? I think Potiphar knows. I think probably even the whole household knows Miss Potiphar's ways. I think he knows something's up. And ultimately, why did he not kill him? Because verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love that's ultimately why Joseph succeeded. And so we see Joseph go from Potiphar's house to prison. From servant to sentenced and condemned. Brothers and sisters, this is really where the American dream just kind of gets shattered by the Bible. Right? We all know the American dream. If you just work hard enough, you, you put in the effort, the sweat, the blood, the tears, you come early, you stay late, you get a few breaks here and there, and you can become nothing and turn into something. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But here we see actually faithfulness gets Joseph thrown into prison. Sometimes... Check this out. Sometimes when you do the right thing, you go to jail. Or as one pastor said it, sometimes when you play by the rules, you get fourth place instead of first place. When you maintain your integrity, things don't always go well. Sometimes you get thrown in prison. You notice, if we'll, we'll work our way through the rest of the Joseph story, but notice this, that we never, ever, ever see the truth come out 
in Egypt about what actually happened that day, which probably meant there were rumors Joseph's whole life about what he did to Miss Potiphar. He may have lived with that forever. Only him and God knows. Brothers and sisters, that's the way it is. Are you suffering under persecution? Are people speaking lies and making accusations about you? Maybe you've done the right thing and still you're suffering for it. The Bible doesn't promise us that all the scores will be settled in this life. It does say that many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. One day he will settle all accounts, but that is not necessarily today. Joseph also demonstrates an important principle in how we handle sexual sin, or any sin. Run. Don't play with it. Don't keep it. Can a man keep a fire close to his chest and not be burned, says the proverb? Don't flirt with it. Don't stay near it. Don't try and fight it. Run. That's what you do with sin. That's what you do with provocative circumstances. That's what you do. Notice Joseph lost his coat. He lost his coat, man. He lost his position. He lost his prominence, but he didn't lose his character. He didn't lose his conscience before a holy God, and he didn't lose his standing with that holy God. There are some things that are worth more than temporal losses. In this life, there are people who invest a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of effort, maybe into a situation, but that situation, it could be work, it could be a relationship, is threatening to destroy your soul. And you know what you should do, but yet you're too afraid to leave it all for fear of all the wasted time and effort. What am I going to do? I did all this stuff. It's, it cost me so much to get here. For some of you, that's a job. That's keeping you from your relationship with the Lord. That's keeping you from your relationship with your spouse. You may need to have a conversation with your boss that says, man, I love working here. I, I'd love to keep working here, but these hours, just no can anymore. I, I need some time with my wife. Well, you can't have that time with your wife. Okay, well, I, I might need to find another job then. Thank you so much. Some of you are living in an area that is just sapping your joy because you don't have fellowship around you. And I would encourage you all, like Joseph, maybe God is calling you today, today, like his disciples so many years ago, to leave behind everything, everything you know. You're just out like they were mending nets, fishing, counting fish. You're living life. Maybe today the Savior is knocking at your door, beckoning you to step out in faith and follow me. Leave it all behind, all of it. And you say, but that's going to cost me so much. You don't know, Pastor Randy. No, I do know. And I know at the end of the day when the ledger is accounted for and all the numbers are calculated, what's going to come, the bottom line, is gain. Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. At the end of the day, it will be gain. 
gain when you follow Christ. So, beloved, God is with you, even in poor circumstances. Providentially, he is working for your good. Nothing in all creation will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Will you follow him today like Joseph? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love and mercy towards us in Christ. And Father, I pray if there are any here, uh, Lord, who maybe are not following, maybe they are entangled with the snares of this world that are uh, distracting them from what ultimately matters, may you draw them this morning to live the life of faith, to leave it all and follow you and see that there is gain when we come to Christ. And Lord, we thank you for your persevering love that nothing, Lord, and none of our poor circumstances, none of the conflicts, none of the pain that we are in will diminish the inheritance we have to come in Christ. So Lord, would you keep us, I pray. Keep us this week, keep us this afternoon for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.